Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Bible, um, it would be amazing if you would turn in your Bible about seven-eighths of the way through the Bible to a book called 2 Corinthians. It's Paul's letter to a church in one of the major cities of the Roman world called Corinth. And uh, it's, it's basically a church which was struggling with a whole bunch of stuff, particularly sex and fighting and a whole bunch of in- interesting things going on in that church. But he wants to talk to them about generosity and giving, and this is the final week we get to talk about money for a little period of time. So you can feel less awkward next week because we'll be back to kind of normal subjects um, and you won't have to squirm in your seats. But this is the final talk that we, we're going to do on a sermon series we've called Giveology, which will appear in the Oxford English Dictionary sometime in the next couple of years because it's a great word. Um, but basically, God is a giver. It's predicated on the understanding that God is not a taker. He's not after your stuff. He's not out to limit you or restrict you. He's not trying to constrict your life and make it miserable. God is an abundant, loving giver who wants to lavish good stuff on you and wants you to be a conduit of his good stuff for everyone else around you. That's what it's all about. So we've talked about the fact that if we were to take the whole of this Bible and restrict it to one sentence, one two-word sentence with a subject and a verb, it would probably be God gives. God gives. That's who he is and what he does. And what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks is saying, well, what is our response to that? How do we respond to a God that gives abundantly? And if he's a giver, then surely the, 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 the precepts in his word, the stuff that he's trying to tell us, it's not there to restrict us. So when he talks about tithing, it's not a law-based thing that should make you feel really restricted. It's a grace opportunity so that you get to open your hands and eventually open your lives. And I get to open mine as well. It's been a really weird thing for me to be teaching this stuff because I feel really vulnerable. Uh, Just this week, on at least three occasions, people have approached me in the streets in Edinburgh and asked me questions. I think it was maybe Thursday or Friday, I met a couple of girls, probably whom I hear today, who said, are you going shopping? I said, yes, because I was. And once again, it's perfectly okay to go shopping if you need something or even if you want something. But shopping just because you're bored and don't have a life is a rubbish thing to do. Because it just moves your heart and makes you buy stuff you don't need with money you don't have and to replace things that were good enough already. You know all the stuff. You know, God, on another occasion, I was, I was at a wedding yesterday. It was an amazing wedding and I was looking really quite dapper. I wore a shirt and a tie and the tie was... It was good. And and a number of people said, that tie is really good. And I found myself saying, yeah, I got it for three quid from a charity shop. And someone said, well, we'll deal with that poverty spirit later. (laughs) 
you know, all this kind of stuff. Going. Someone else approached me and said, well, okay, then if you're so honest about your money, what do you owe? What do you earn? What do you give? And, uh, and what was the other thing? What do I owe? Anyway, what do you own? I said, uh, and once again, I'm happy to answer that question as long as you let me ask you that question as well. And we had an interesting conversation. It's an interesting thing. God talks about money more than he talks about anything else of practical interest in the Bible. Because he knows it can get hold of our hearts. And he knows it can suffocate us. And he knows it can restrict us. So the ambition of tonight, we're going to, at the end of our time, we're going to take a look at those cards which have been, you've been sitting on, probably you've got, and some of you who are committed to this church will want to make an active step and pledge, and we're not going to do the bag thing ever again. In fact, I thought about auctioning off the bags to see if anyone would give us money for those bags. Someone said they'd, they'd give us money for a magic act with the bags, but you know, I, was, I, was, I thought it would be an interesting thing, but what we're going to do later on is we're going to invite you to have an opportunity to say, God's moved my heart, and I want to pledge. I want to give. But that's not my main ambition, nor has it been in any of the teaching that I've done. My ambition is that you get free. My ambition is that you and I are not anxious about money or bound by money or end up serving money or end up living our lives with the authority of our lives being cash and what we earn and what we own and becoming slaves to it, but we actually get free to be a generous and abundant people because you are really you when you're generous. Why do I say that? Well, because God's the giver. God's an abundant giver, and you're created in his image. And because you're created in his image, you are only ever free when you start to be generous with what you have, when you hold your hands like this because you know you don't own anything, rather than like this because somehow you were conned into thinking it was yours. So I want us just to get free. So, so let's open those passages of Scripture, and we're going we're gonna to read some incredible stuff. And the great thing about 2 Corinthians, as we get towards the end and he starts to talk about money, is that some of the Scriptures is relatively enigmatic. You know, you can read it and go, well, I'm not sure about that, and don't really understand that, and what's he talking about when he talks about that? But this is pretty straightforward stuff. There's going to be nothing today that you go, oh, I don't understand that, so I don't have to do anything about it. The issue with the stuff today is application. What are you actually going to do about this stuff? Let's read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And we haven't got ages, so I'm just going to read a few verses. Verse 8. Context is this. Paul uh, is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's basically setting up this really healthy competition between a church in Macedonia. And he's saying, I want you to know how these Macedonian Christians under the greatest poverty and under the greatest kind of persecution gave abundantly. I want you to realize how utterly kingdom this is. When you face poverty and you face oppression, what you tend to do is grab it all in and hold it really tight. But these guys, instead of doing that, became joyful and abundant in generosity. And I want you to check them out and I want you to do the same thing. That's what Paul's basically doing. And he gives an example of Jesus. He says, verse 8, I am not commanding you, which is really important because the only person that can decide what you're going to give and how you're going to give is you in relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
Don't let anyone else tell you what you should do with the money that God has given to you to steward. I am not commanding you, says Paul. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And then he compares it with Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He says, that's huge. Check out what God did. You're created in his image. This stuff is supposed to flow through you. He who was the richest guy ever became the poorest person you can imagine so that you can be rich. He gave in that incredible way. And then he gets really practical. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Every man or woman should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And check this out. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Check this out. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now keep that open. Paul is saying there is a posture to life that will free you and bless people and honor God. Doesn't that sound cool? There is a posture you can approach to life that will free up your heart, open your hands, bless a load of people, and honor God. I, I want to show you how you can use money and love people rather than love money and use people. Because that's what most people do. God is a giver. And Paul goes on to say his DNA, what, what makes him him, is something called grace. And grace basically means that God lives in an unreasonable way. He doesn't do what you expect him to do. He's ridiculous in his unmerited favor to you. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. There's nothing you can do that makes him love you more. And there's nothing you can do that can stop him loving you because he just loves. That's his DNA. He loves every single one of you. And what it looks like is generosity. He gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. And here's the thing. The secret to the success of your life is absolutely your ability to walk in lockstep with the creator of the universe who made you. It's your ability to look as much like him as possible. It's your ability to flow with this grace. See, generosity is all about identity. Paul has been speaking a whole bunch of stuff about Jesus as a teacher, but now he gives him as an example. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that for, though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And his argument is this. The moment you said yes to Jesus, the moment you said, 
goodness me, that's the greatest news in all the world. I can't believe it. God actually exists and he actually loves me. He actually has a plan for my life and I can have a relationship with him. The moment you did that, you changed your whole economic structure. You moved into the economy of grace where God gives you abundant things where he pours his love into your life. And the whole deal is this, God comes to live in you and you have to begin to flow with grace or it's a complete denial. Do you know, tight Christian, dishonest Christian, miserable Christian are oxymorons. They just shouldn't exist. Because what happens is God comes to live in you. His grace begins to flow through you. Do you know, I'm a child of grace. I'm a child of a generous, giving, loving God who sent his son. I'm supposed to flow with grace. And every single time I do this and I hold on to stuff and I say, that's mine and you're not having it, I evidence that I don't really get grace. I don't understand what I got. I'm not actually free. Generosity is all about identity. And it's all about faith, says Paul. Look at verse 6 of chapter 9. Paul gives us this audacious argument. He says, and we have to think about this. He says, if you sow generously, you'll reap generously. But if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. And he uses this principle again as a universal principle. If you sow unforgiveness, you'll reap unforgiveness. If you sow miserableness, you'll reap miserableness. That's what happens. It's a kind of universal principle. And Paul goes on to say, but actually it's not just what you sow, it's how you sow it. If you sow with grace, if you sow with overflow, if you sow with abundance and generosity, then, then what goes around comes around. It comes back at you from God. What he's basically saying is there's a brand new investment strategy on offer. You get to be the manager of all God's stuff. It's not yours. He just pours it into your life. He says, you know what? These guys can be trusted. They obviously have their hands like this. I'm going to pour more stuff into their life. And as more stuff comes into your life, what's supposed to happen is we're supposed to flow with it. So it flows out of our life in such a way that everyone else gets blessed. And God goes, do you know what? It looks like I can trust those guys. I tell you what I'll do. I'll pour more things into their lives. And I'm not just talking about money. I'll give them more grace. I'll give them more opportunities. I'll give them more friendships. I'll give them more influence. I'll give them more opportunities to serve my purposes because I can trust them. If you sow generously, you reap generously. You've got to sow first. And that sounds ridiculous, but, but uh, this is really important. You've got to sow first. I, we, we live in a generation who uh, feel entitled. You know, I, I just should have good stuff. Yesterday's luxuries are today's necessities. You know, I, just, I should just have good stuff. And, you know, it is utterly ridiculous for a farmer to stand in his field like this, saying, come on, God, bring on the rain, if he hasn't sowed a seed. If he's not sown a seed and he's not, he's not plowed the field and he's not worked the sweat, of his, the sweat of his brow in order to make do his bit, he can't stand saying, God, bring on the rain. Come on, where's the sunshine? I'm expecting a harvest. 
God, you know, if you give me an amazing harvest, I'll become a big-time sower. That's ridiculous, isn't it? But I see Christians do that all the time. All the time. God, I'm, I'm going to make a massive leap of faith if first you show up and give me a security blanket and a safety net to make sure that it's not actually a leap of faith at all. It's just me walking. No, 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 that's not how it works. I, I, I have this feeling that God says, well, it's actually on you. You go first. Why don't, why don't you go? Do you trust me? You, you, you see all the things I've poured into your life. You see the abundance of your life. You see my goodness to you. Do you trust me? Off you go. You're shot. And we go, whoa, that's a totally different thing. And suddenly I'm not so brave. And then Paul goes on to say, generosity is all about purpose. Look at verse 10 and 11. And this is really important, so let's stay here for a moment. God who supplies the seed so that you can sow, not so that you can eat lots of seed, because to be honest, who wants to eat seed? Seed so that you can sow is going to enlarge your harvest. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? Suddenly we're into big territory here. Your harvest is going to be enlarged. God gives you seed not for your need or your greed, but your seed. Do you like that? That really f- sounded really good when I wrote it earlier. Not for your, no, let's not do that again. God, God's going to give you seed so that you can sow it. So that, look, 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 according to the passage, so that you can be generous on every occasion. That's why you got seed. That's the whole deal. So that you can be generous on every occasion. Why is that the deal? Because what he's basically saying, so you can look like me. So you can participate in my plans. So you can get in on the deal because that's who you're created to be and that's the purposes you've got. That's why I put you where I put you. That's why I gave you the influence I gave you. That's why I brought you up in the family that I've given you so that you can be generous and you can look like me. Listen, it's not wrong to have nice things. God loves you. He, he, he wants you to enjoy nice stuff. He, wants, he knows that you have families, some of you. And he knows that you want to provide for your kids and give them a great opportunity. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. He knows you want to provide them with a great wedding and all that kind of stuff. And he knows you want a car with a heaty seat thing. He, know, he knows all that stuff. He knows you like shoes. He knows, he knows all the things you like. And he's not down on that because he loves you and he created you the way he created you. But that's not the purpose. The purpose of the abundant life, verse 10, is that you will have a harvest of righteousness. Righteousness sounds like a very, very religious word, but it basically basically means this, restorative justice. That you will have a harvest of restorative justice. You see, Jesus, when he talks about money in Matthew chapter six, he uses the same word. He says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, his restorative justice. Make that the ambition of your life with the stuff. What does that mean? Well, what would the kingdom of God look like if it came full force in Scotland tomorrow? I mean, really, we talk enigmatically about this stuff and we sing, clothing rainbows, living colors. We do all that kind of stuff and we go, isn't it amazing? But actually, what would it really look like? I'm having a rant tonight, aren't I? What would it look like? Calm down. What would it look like if the kingdom of God came in full force? Let me have a go. There will be peace in the city and there will be prosperity in the country. 
There will be no more abuse and no more abandonment and no more separation and no more divorce. Prisoners would be released. That those currently in prison would have good news shown to them and a new way of life offered to them. And those who are not in prison because they've never done anything outrageously against the law but they're imprisoned in their hearts by the way they're living would also have good news demonstrated to them, not just preached at them. And they would say, goodness me, God is alive. People would live well, and they would die well. Men and women would find a new power and a new standard, and this nation would find a new normal, and then they would discover it's an old normal. There'd be no more lonely people because God's grace-filled people poured out in abundance what they had been given, and they, they, they met with people, and they included people. No more kids would need families, and people would need homes, and addicts would need rehab, and teenagers would need purpose, because the kingdom is here, and it's being funded by the free, extravagant kingdom kids, we have everything we need for life and godliness according to the scriptures we don't have to go looking for it God's poured it in already he says it's, it's, it's here it's in you I've given it to you and if you begin to release it I know I can trust you more and I can pour more stuff in so more things can be done creativity would, be, would flourish and beauty would be encouraged because God's into those things and you have those cards on your seats not because I just want show me the money Although I've always wanted to say that in church. It's not, it's not because I want, just because I want, because I fundamentally believe that God has called us to release resources for dreams. See, I want to fund a prison ministry in Stockton and a community hub in Preston Pans where the church has just left the town. And I want to fund a church plant in Oxgangs where they need something vibrant that sings of Jesus. And I want to see missional communities everywhere. And I want to train the next generation of radical kingdom leaders through a training hub here that would radically influence the Celtic lands. And I want to develop our CAP ministry because I see loads and loads of people getting debt-free and coming to know that God really loves them through that ministry. What would it look like if we could have more people trained up to help people in that? I want to start a business incubator on kingdom terms in this place not just because I want to release young people with visions and dreams so they can run with them and they can be resourced to run with them but so that we can employ people who will never get employed in this economy right now I want to do that I want to see a wellness and a healing and a transformation center because this world is broken and people are busted, and people are being chucked out of the system. And, and, and I want it to be funded by the king's kids because we got all the resources because he has. I don't want us to go begging on the doorsteps of people who don't understand who God is. I want us to start showing that we can be trusted. I want to resource a movement that's radical and generous and grace filled. And I want to see 100 hubs in the next 20 years and a million people freed up. I want, I want people to get Jesus because we decoupled him from the religious stuffy stuff that keeps Jesus exclusive and rather than inclusive because Jesus is for everybody and God's into everybody and we shouldn't just keep him restricted into this building while we sing religious songs. Hmm. That's what I want to see and I want us to do it. I want us to do it. Because I think God's got us for more than currently we imagine. 
God has given you everything you need, says Paul, for every good work. For every good work. The question is, um, in what do I want to invest? Do I want to invest in something that actually is going to be broken in a few years' time? Or do I want to invest in something that's eternal? And you go, Carl, well, that's all well and good. You've had a rant, and it's all theory, and it's helpful, and probably maybe it moved my heart. But I need some practical stuff. So here here goes. I'm going to give you three practical things. I could give you ten, so be grateful. I'm only going to give you three. And, and the three I'm going to give you are really important, so you might even want to write it down. Even if you don't want to write it down, if you get a pad and a piece of paper out and make me think I'm doing well. So, I'm serious. Three things. Okay, here we go. First thing. Keys to living generously. And you're going to need to think about this. First thing is this. Simplicity. This is really radical stuff because this is not the way our world thinks. Jesus, teaching his disciples about God and money, says in Luke chapter 12, sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Jesus, when he's talking to the rich young ruler, says the secret to life is you go away, sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Now, hear me right. I don't think God is saying to every single one of us, maybe not even to many of us, go away and sell everything you have and and, and live in a commune and, and not have anything nice. Please, I hope that's not the case. But I do think this that the flow of the scriptures and the teaching of Jesus for the people who will be grace-filled is always away from accumulation to simplicity. And I'll tell you why that is. It is because too much stuff will suffocate the kingdom life in you and simplicity will give you space to live it. And I'll tell you why that is. Because you dreaming and thinking about owning stuff takes your time and your energy and your anxiety and your creativity and you spend time on eBay and you spend time on the internet and you're thinking about it all the time and then it gets worse. The moment you get it, you have to maintain it, you have to keep it, you have to run it, you have to clean it, you have to, you know, and, 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 and it just begins to suffocate the really good stuff in you because you just got too much stuff and it's so flipping noisy in your head. It's okay to have things. I want things. But four cars, three houses, 20 shirts, four suits, 15 pairs of shoes, four TVs and a partridge in a pear tree will just be too noisy for your life and your life will just get suffocated. So here's my best piece of advice. And listen to this. Because I know some of you students will just zone out and go, I don't own anything. I have nothing. I don't get... That's a piece of nonsense. We'll talk about that later. But actually, if you don't get it right now, you never will. Because it's really hard when you've got a load of stuff. The best thing you can do, if that is any description of your life, is to have a mega garage sale. Seriously. Get rid of loads of stuff. Keep some really nice things, because God wants you to enjoy it. But get rid of loads of stuff, because it is suffocating your life. And get free. Simplicity. Second word is the word community. Do you know, and, and that's important. That simplicity thing is important, not just because it, for you, but it's important for the world around you. Because our world is on a fast track to destruction because of 0% interest and the latest Apple <laughs> advertisement. 
Because we're always being told that thing is better than the thing we've got and it's cooler than the thing we've got. Actually, it's only cooler than the thing we've got according to the people who decide what cool is. Which is just nonsense. You get to decide. You get to take control. Simplicity. Second thing I want you to talk about is community. There was once a church that changed the world. They went from a group of 100 people who were absolutely petrified to half the known world in a couple of hundred years. And at the heart of the philosophy of the way they lived was a Greek word called koinonia. It basically means everything in common. And they lived in a radical way. Now, I'm not suggesting everyone sells their homes and moves into a hippie commune and starts to share everything. But what I am suggesting is that when I was a kid, I learned to share. And when I grew up, I learned that was a stupid idea. And the reality is, I was wiser when I was a kid. Do you know, I, Nikki and I have, apart from maybe a year or so, we've always only ever had one car. Now, mostly that's because we couldn't afford a second one. But the reality is this. It's been hard at times. Because, um, and I've looked at other people in other cars, and I'm thinking, oh, I'd really like to do, do that and, uh, and have that. But do you know what happened to me? I learned how to not be so precious about using other people's stuff. So we borrowed cars off loads of people in this church. And when, we, when I first borrowed cars, I felt ashamed and embarrassed and fearful. I was scared if I was going to scratch it, bash it, make it messy, whatever. I was, I was just petrified of the whole thing. But something happened in my heart halfway through the process. And you know, now I just think it's normal. I don't, I don't think it's weird. I just think it's normal. That's what we should be doing. Because most of our cars sit on our drives most of the time and don't get used. You know, it's, and then once again, you, she's going, I haven't got a car. You'll have a car at some stage. You know, learn to share things. You don't need everything. And, and that's, there's something beautiful about being able to share stuff and not say it's, like, it's mine, you can't have it. And if you've got anything you want to share with me, just, you know. I'm cool about that now. <laughs> Community. And the final thing I want to talk about is obedience. This is massive, and we'll finish here. And all I want to say is this. If God is real, and you check him out, don't take my word for it, if God is real, if he really speaks, if he really acts in people's lives, then he's got stuff to say. He is speaking all the time. He didn't just speak back then and got his words in a book. He's, he's alive, he's dynamic, he's here, and he speaks. And he speaks through your gut, and he speaks through your heart, and he speaks through your head, he speaks through your emotions, he speaks through generosity. And very, very often, he's going to talk to you about money. Because he, he, if he's consistent with his word, that's what he does here. So he's often going to, going, to, going to move your heart, and you're going to be feeling, I ought to give that, I ought to share that, I ought to sell that, I ought to do this. And, and, and more often than not, that's going to be the right motive and the right thing to do. And what happens is we don't get obedient to it. Because we filter it with, that's irrational, I will be short this month, I won't be able to do this, and I won't be able to do this thing. But it's because we're living according to the wrong economy. We're living according to an economy that says, you know, I have to earn it and I have to own it and I have to run it and it's all mine and I'm responsible for it. But we have a heavenly father who owns everything. And he says, you own nothing. I'm going to pour my resources in, but I'm going to want to see that you can be trusted. So how about we start obeying the promptings of the Holy Spirit? And when he says, give, you give. 
And when he says sell, you sell. And, and, you know, there is, there is, if you read this book, it is ram-packed full of people. I shouldn't. It's ram-packed full of people who did illogical things. There are very few people in here who were sensible, according to the way of this world. Almost everyone was a complete crazy person who, who just said, you know, I trust God speaks. I trust that even though this seems ridiculous, he's going to come through with stuff. Because they had learned to be obedient to a God who has their back. I, I don't know. I come to the end of a series. But I want to say this. I don't want to be stuck. I don't want to be bound. I don't want to have my life restricted by too many things. And, and I don't want to be tight. I want to look like God. I want to be generous. I want to hold my stuff like this and know that it's not my stuff in the first place. I want him to pour huge amounts into my life. And I want to pour more out because some miracle happens that it multiplies in me. That's what I want to see happen with my life. And the whole of this series has been an invitation for you to begin to live like that. And I don't know whether you're offended or whether you're excited. I don't know whether you've got this all nailed and you're going, actually, anxiety is not a concern for me. Or whether you feel restricted. But I do know this, God is a giver. He's a total giver. And he wants to free you up. So here's what we're going to do, just so that we're really up front. We're going to spend some time just in quiet. And, um, and I'm going to give you an opportunity. So if you, if you don't come to this church and you're just here for, a, you know, for an evening, you, know, you, you just respond whatever God is saying and doing to you. But if you do come to this church and you think this is home for you, I want you to do some real business with what is God saying to me about what I should do with the resources God has given because God's given us a vision and he wants it funded. And um, do you know what? I don't think there's a cop-out if you say, actually, I don't earn any money because I'm a student. Well, you spend the money, you know? <laughs> and, and that's great. God loves that. But actually, he, he says, well, do you sow? Will you sow? And, and, and not just will you dip your hand in your pocket and find what's in there and put it in the offering. You know, sometimes we get chewing gum. <laughs> it's, just, it's great usually it's quite fresh I have it after no I don't that's not true <laughs> recover the situation so we're not doing bags and we're not doing bags ever again well no I, I, we're not doing bags as far as I can see it um, because I don't want to do that embarrassed kind of British thing where we go mmm and then people will feel a bit embarrassed and if you haven't got any money, you tap the bottom of the bag so that people will think you've given. I know. But, but what we're going to do is we're going we're to say this is about worship and this is about being like God. And so take those cards. If God's prompting you, fill them in. And uh, you don't have to give. I'm not really after loads of money. I just think that it's really important for you if you want to free your hands and free your heart that you make an active decision to give because that's what God's people do. And then we're gonna spend some time worshiping and then we're gonna do African style giving, which will cringe some of you out. 
But we've got boxes up the front. They're gray things. They, eventually, they'll go up the back. And uh, if God's prompting your heart, and only if he is, well, remember, this is, this is between you and God. I'm not, you know, this is between you and God. If God's prompting your heart, you come forward, put your pledge in the box, and we'll worship God with this. I thought about barring the doors as we did this. <laughs> Clearly, that's not something that should have come out of my mouth. <laughs> but I tell you, here's, here's my testimony. Every person, every person that I know who's been a student in this church, who's gone on to be passionate about God and do incredible things, nailed this stuff while they were a student. They just did. So you may never have started giving Maybe today is a time to do that. Or you may have been giving, but it's a bit random and you want to nail that. Or maybe just in your heart you want to go, do you know what? I need to be a generous giver. And there are maybe one or two people here who don't yet know Jesus. And I just need to say you're missing out. Because he's an abundant giver. And he has a huge plan for your life. You probably know him already. And you just need to say hi. Hi. So why don't you just do that deal as you sit there. So a band are going to come. We're going to spend just a few minutes being quiet. If you need a pen, grab a pen. Fill the form in. Um, if you don't want to fill the form in, that's cool. No one's going to judge you in any way, shape, or form. And, uh, and then we're going to worship Jesus. And we worship Jesus. Uh, you're going to come up and you're going, to, you're going to begin to give and put into the bag, the box rather. We're also going to share communion at this stage. And it's very deliberate because, you know, sometimes we make worship all about singing songs and raising our hands. But worship is the whole of me for the whole of my life. It's the, it's the, it's the whole of me to everything I understand about God. It's my money, it's my stuff, it's my ambitions, it's my faults, it's, it's everything. And the best place to evidence that, God, that, that God is having everything is to come to a table where you get to eat bread and drink wine and remember that he who was rich became poor so that we who are poor might become rich. So you come, get bread and wine, and remember and celebrate. You come, bring your gifts, your offerings, bring your pledges, say, I'm in. I'm totally in. I want to be free, I want to be different, I want to be generous, I want to be abundant, I want to look like God, I'm in. And then we'll worship together. Is that okay? Four of you. Maybe. You don't have to dance down the aisle, although you can if you want. Let's, uh, let's stand, let's worship Jesus.